Hello, parent friends. Once again, it is so good to be with you today. My name is Joanna Jesperson. And for the last, I guess, eight or nine different series episodes, we have been going through the book called Life-Giving Parent by Clay and Sally Clarkson. And this has been such an excellent resource to walk through as parents this summer for our church, for our kids' ministry, and for anyone out there who's a friend, who is a parent, who would love to dig in to these life-giving thoughts and ways that we can um, breathe life into our kids. And so we have really um, powered through this book, and we are now at the end on chapter nine, which is our last chapter together. Um, And this one is a lot of fun. This one is about imagination. And so we are on chapter nine. If you're following with us in the book, um, that is page 165. And like I say every time, if you do not have the book, don't despair. Don't don't hang this up. Um, Don't do that because this is still so, so good, whether or not you have the book in front of you or not. If you are listening out there and you want to get the book, I know that I probably got it on Amazon. Um, And then if you don't want to get the book, hey, that's great too. Just listen. Um, I know you'll glean some encouragement and some some thoughts um, for you as a parent. So welcome aboard for chapter nine, Forming Your Child's Imagination. And like every chapter, it starts with a verse. So this verse for this chapter is Isaiah 26, 3, and it says, You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. And the title is Forming Your Child's Imagination. And so this is so um, interesting, and I really enjoyed reading this chapter. And I want to jump in and read Um, This paragraph on page 167, it says, It's appropriate that the final life-giving heartbeat chapter in this book is about forming your child's imaginations. First, because it is only by imagination that we as parents will be able to envision the kind of lives we can give to our children. We're motivated by our hopes about what kinds of people they'll become, how they'll use their gifts and talents, what kinds of spouses and parents they'll be, how they'll make their marks for God's kingdom. Second, it's only by a Christ-formed imagination that our children will be able to see what we envision for them. Their imaginations need to be formed and fed to realize the vision for what they can become in God's grand story. In other words, imagination is a symbiotic process in family. We imagine so they can imagine. So they kind of jump in and, um, you know, they give a personal story and then they they really do want to define what imagination is. Because if you're like me, you may not have ever sat down and really thought about what exactly is imagination and how do we go about cultivating that? And so that would be a question to start off. What is imagination and what does scripture say about, about imagination? And why is imagination important for, for our children? And how is it formed? And so they define imagination, according to Merriam-Webster, as the act or power of forming a mental image of something not present to the senses or never before wholly perceived in reality. 
So it's the act or power of forming a mental image of something that you cannot see in front of you. So it involves seeing things in the mind that may or may not exist in the material world. So our children will understand abstract words and concepts by reason, but will also give meaning to them in their imaginations through images and metaphors and symbols and story. And that is why, you know, as, as parents, that is why in school and in ministry and kids ministry, we use a lot of pictures and props and things like that. You know, whenever we are doing um, a lesson at church, for example, with our kids um, or children's church, we we will make the story come alive so they can see, um, you know, a prop or an outfit that you put on and you you pretend you're a character and things like that because they they can see things that way when they're young. And then, of course, we know that as they develop and as they go throughout their life stages, as they get a little bit older, they begin to be able to, you know, think abstractly. But for now, when they're little, they assign meaning, um, you know, with images and symbols and story. So imagination is uncomplicated for children. It is a natural, transparent ability. They don't have to understand it or be taught how to imagine, right? I mean, they, from the beginning, they'll imagine themselves as being a a pilot or a firefighter or a teacher or a mommy and and they can just do it so in order to become healthy and strong in their human nature their imaginations need to be fed and formed so a christian imagination enables our children not only to see god's truth through images metaphors symbols but also to see themselves as part of a grand story being written by God, a story that brings ultimate meaning to everything. So let's think about the Word of God. Let's think about the Bible. We cannot understand the Bible without a well, a well-formed imagination. I mean, think about Genesis. Think about Revelation. The Bible is filled with prophetic images, theological metaphors, truth-revealing symbols, and allegorical stories. Think about Genesis 1 to 3 and visualize the creation of the world, the first man and woman, and then the corruption of paradise, the Garden of Eden, by a talking serpent. And then think about Revelation, the images and symbols that challenge us to imagine the end of history, the defeat of evil, and the beginning of a new heaven and a new earth. So. Even in the New Testament, as we look to Matthew, Jesus, in his words, he is a great example of using abstract, using, you know, imagination. He begins with concepts that are as abstract as they are concrete. Um, Let me explain. So he uses different kinds of people, for example, when he talks about Matthew 5 to 7, the Sermon on the Mount. When he says, he promises to them, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And then his parables. Think about his parables in the New Testament and the imagination 
um, of these stories, such as the prodigal son, the sower, the good Samaritan, the 10 talents, the laborers in the vineyard, and so many others. He uses metaphors to picture truth about his nature and mission. He calls himself the good shepherd, the light of the world, the bread of life, the living water. He uses riddles and images such as kingdom of heaven, sheep and goats, a mustard seed, being born again, the eye of the needle, the last shall be first, vines and branches. His miracles and healings are images and symbols of truth, turning water into wine, multiplying loaves and fishes, raising Lazarus, healing the paralyzed man, calming the storm, and so many more. So as we, as we think about imagination, let's talk about that it's easy to make a mistake in thinking that imagination is, is kind of a passive mental state, but rather it is more like a muscle that will become stronger or weaker depending on how it is fed, exercised, and used. So there's a Christian author named Karen Rivadiniera, and this is coming from page 173. Christian author Karen Rivadiniera, and she makes the faith connection. This is her quote, without imagination, without the ability to picture what is unseen, to believe what is unknown, how can we have faith without imagination without the ability to imagine a quote preferred future how can we hope without imagination how can we experience the majesty and wonder and nearness of a mysterious god so the world says you've got to see it to believe it right we have heard that many times but the bible turns it on its head and it says you've got to believe it to see it in other words, there is a kind of seeing that starts with belief. So in Hebrews 11.1, 1, it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The author of Hebrews asserts that the conviction of faith or belief enables us to see not seen things of God. And then similarly, Paul prays that God will give the Ephesians spiritual eyes or the eyes of the heart to see all that he has done for us as believers. So his verse says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? And that comes from Ephesians 1, 18 and 19. So if we want our children to see all the unseen ways God tells us he blesses his children now and in eternity, a well-formed Christian imagination is the starting place. So here's something interesting. Up until 1990, creativity has increased annually for 30 years, up until 1990. But since 1990, it has been steadily declining annually. Reasons for the decrease are unknown, but the advent of computers, video games, tablets, devices, and the rapid acceptance of their use by our children is the suspected culprit. 
perhaps we should add a chilling corollary to this quote, the more imagination holds, the more it will hold, except to the degree that it is distracted and weakened by passive consumption of too much meaningless activity and content that degrades imagination by mental starvation. Wow, I want to read that again. That is that is deep. The more imagination holds, the more it will hold, except to the degree that it is distracted and weakened by passive consumption of too much meaningless activity and content that degrades imagination by mental starvation. So if that corollary is true, then every life-giving parent is on notice. Only we can form and feed our children's imaginations to be healthy and strong for God. So back in chapter two, if you remember and you've been following with us, um, we talked about numbering our children's days during that brief window of opportunity called childhood when they are in our home. With this final chapter, we come full circle. We get no redos if we neglect to form our children's imaginations during the short season of their childhood. So as we close this chapter, as we close this book, um, the Clarksons, they suggest some priorities to begin to implement and help them, help us ensure that we send our children into young adulthood with well-formed imaginations that are able to enter into the wonder and mystery of God's story. And so, you know, children's brains can become so overcrowded with meaningless information that good thoughts can have a hard time breaking free from the clutter of the cognitive space, the increased clutter. What does that information overload mean for you as you work to form your children's imaginations? Hmm. Let's start with the positive side of the information equation, majoring on the good stuff and minoring on the fun stuff. So let's talk about that. The good stuff involves feeding their brains with the very best food that we can. For example, a good version of the Bible, the best Bible storybooks, the best in traditional children's um, illustrated storybooks, classic children's literature, Christian allegory or fantasy such as the Chronicles of Narnia, church history and Christian biographies, historical hero stories, beautiful art, photography, and the, and the best in all genres of music. So giving our children easy access to all the good stuff, it will help feed them right? It let them feed on, on it at will whenever they have free time to choose to fill their minds with it. So the fun stuff, minoring in the fun stuff can be the imaginative media that is harmless, but not necessarily helpful for feeding the imagination. So whether in print, music, video, online, the key word is minor. So considering it a treat deciding that we will enjoy it and then we will restrict it. So the limits are important for our children. Don't let the fun stuff push the good stuff aside out of convenience or neglect. Now I know as parents that this, this imprint in the book 
is a really good thought, right? And you're sitting here thinking just like me. Well, that would be the ideal, but is that really possible? You know, with as busy as we are and so many times if both both parents are working and you're doing everything you can just to survive, really. You know, just to to get through the day and do everything you need to do. And then sometimes you feel like, you know, I just need a moment. I just need 30 minutes and I'm going to let my kid watch a show. So I don't believe that, you know, they, they are talking about, you know, survival and things that we have to do to get through our day. Um, you know, this is the ideal, but of course they would never say that we were wrong for, um, for putting our kids in front of a TV show because I know how many times I have done that. If I have needed to really hone in on something and get something done. And I just think that there's probably a sense of balance, right? And I think that this is such a great idea to take with us and to, to tweak it how we are in our family. So I know for me, this is very challenging in a good way to, to really provide my kids ways to cultivate their imagination, ways to do that, not just doing the same humdrum thing and letting them watch shows, but to really, you know, designate a certain time of day where they can do that, but then allowing them freedom and, but yet also giving them the tools, you know, giving them things that they can do, because if we don't provide those things and they're just going to come to us time and time again and say, I'm bored, I'm bored. And my kids know there have been so many times that they've said that to me and, and I and I say, well, it's okay to be bored. And then what ends up happening is that they go off into their room or they go with their sibling and they start imagining and doing things. And so it just took some space and it took some saying no to media, no to TV, no to Kindle and giving them permission and giving them the tools in order to go and be creative and to think up crazy things. And so I know that that works personally. I have seen it personally in my own life with my own kids. And so I really was um, challenged and I hope that you are too, to take this information and to do with it what you feel is in, in your family's best interest for your children. So don't let the fun stuff push the good stuff aside. Because we remember we have a very short window of opportunity with our kids and we want to really help set the groundwork um, for a solid foundation in Christ. So jumping now to page 180, it says that, you know, they will have plenty of time as they get older for digital engagement. We only get one shot at their childhood, so we must make the most of it by using the natural means God has built into our human experience to grow and expand our children's imaginations. So they give some back to basics ideas to get us started. So they have four, four sections, writing, drawing, telling, and showing. And these are really good if you have some chunks of time to do these things. So for example, writing, um, when your children are writing freely, give them a cool journal and pen and encourage them to write something original or creative. And of course, that is a certain age of child that you would do that with. 
drawing, give your children a sketchbook and a set of good drawing pencils and color pencils. And then every day have them sketch something that they can envision in their minds or read a story or see in nature, whether it's real or made up. That would be really fun actually. And then to date it, um, every day do one, that would be, that would be fun. Telling would be to set aside a few minutes each day for your children to tell you stories, to put it in their own words and in their own minds. It could be an original story or a retelling of history, narrating part of a book that they're reading, um, things like that. And then finally, showing. It says periodically set aside time to allow your children to demonstrate and explain something they are working on, thinking about, or engaged in doing. Encourage them to use props and drawings to illustrate what they want to communicate. So those are just some, some thoughts on how to get us going with that. So as we close, um, I want to read one more thing. It's on page 184, and it's titled The Cost of Imagination. It says, in the early days of our parenting, Sally and I read an article that suggested that the best way to invest in our children's futures was by investing in tools that they might later use for vocation and ministry. That principle made sense to us, and we started a habit of devoting resources to our children's skills, abilities, and some degree of their imaginations, what they dreamed they might be someday. Rather than withholding these tools until a birthday or Christmas or making the children earn them, we simply gave them to our children when it seemed appropriate to encourage a budding interest or pursuit books, electronics, instruments, software, sports gear, science equipment, and other such things. Some might wonder if our children were spoiled or if some things went unused. No, they were not spoiled. Yes, some things weren't used, but they were still good investments in our children. We gave things without strings as we were able. It will cost you more money, but as your financial situation allows, be prepared to invest generously in your children's lives and imaginations. So I thought that was interesting and you can take that as you will. Um, and then finally, um, it says, if you're gonna form your children's imaginations, you need to be feeding your own. Every personality type has an imagination that needs to be used, lest it starve and atrophy. It won't do to say, I'm just not the creative type. For the sake of your children, who will be watching to see how you use your imagination, take some time every week to foster it. Read a work of fiction or fantasy. Listen to new or different music. Try writing a poem, song, short story, liturgical prayer or psalm. Slowly appreciate a book of art by a favorite painter. Imagine what you would do if you could do anything and write it down to share with your kids. If you're artistic, think about creating a series of drawings or paintings about faith, hope, and love. If you're not artistic, try your hand at some creative renderings of Bible verses with illuminations. Use your imagination. Your children will approve. And so that, that kind of ends that chapter. And that's a really great way to end it because it reminds us as parents to cultivate our own imaginations, to cultivate our own interests, not to just pour so much into our kids that we really neglect and forget about ourselves. We are very guilty sometimes of doing that um, out of our love for our kids. We know that it all boils down to that and we wanna 
pour our energy and thought into them. But they are um, suggesting and encouraging us to cultivate our own um, interests. And not only will it do us good, but it will show the kids that they have freedom. And even mom and dad will use their imaginations to create something beautiful. And so that's so neat. I really, really enjoyed hearing that. And I hope that you did too. I hope that you've been encouraged throughout this time of this book. Um, Such a good book. And I know that Sally Clarkson is the author of many books, actually. And um, so I want to encourage you to, to, you know, look into her and, and just, you know, look into other Christian authors um, in regard to parenting. But I hope that this has been an awesome journey for you as it has for me, and that you will have some good takeaways um, as we close our time together. I want to pray, and I'm praying um, for all of us as parents that God would, you know, fill us up so that we can overflow onto our kids and, and give them life, give them life in Jesus all those different chapters that talk about specific things that we would um, just remember um, that God has equipped us and given us what we need to be a life-giving parent. Would you join me in prayer? Father, as we close this time, God, I thank you so much for this resource. I thank you for the Clarksons and I thank you for other books that um, I know that are out there that are so helpful, that point us to scripture, that point us to you. God, that we have access at our fingertips, so many wonderful resources. And I pray that you would guide us, give us wisdom on on what to read and what not to read, what is going to be helpful spiritually, and then what is not going to be helpful, God, because we know that we have a plethora of options out there. So God, guide us, guide our hearts and our minds, give us wisdom as we parent. God, help us to remember each day that you know we only get that day so help us to pour into our children and our family um, life your life help us to fill our own selves up not to neglect our own selves um, so that we can give to our to our kids so god i pray for every mom and dad out there and um, that you would just bless them in their marriage bless them in their home God, whether they're a grandparent or a single parent or they're married, God, whatever the case may be, Lord, I pray that your presence would be felt and known in that home and that you would breathe life into that home. God, even during this time of COVID, would you please use this opportunity of being home more so, use this opportunity to cultivate our families, God, and to grow our families. Lord, thank you so much for this time. And I pray that it was a blessing to everyone who's who's been a part. And I pray that it was honoring to you. We love you, Lord Jesus. Amen.